This is it. This Week in Photography. Welcome to yet another episode of our Photo Roundtable. I'm Scott Bourne, your host today. Uh, Alex and I plan to do a little trading here of the hosting duties. And Alex Lindsay, of course, the very same man who's in charge of Pixel Core. Welcome to the show, Alex. Hello, hello. And we also are very lucky to have uh, Steve Simon again, who was on our inaugural show. Steve Simon, one of the top photojournalist, in my opinion, in the country, and an incredible teacher and just a really nice guy, all the way from New York uh, in his underwear. This is Steve Simon. Hello. Uh, thank you very much, Scott. Great to be here. He's not really in his underwear. He's in his home office. No, but I you was know. kidding about that. <laughs> and we're also lucky to have the senior honcho from Adobe on Lightroom's marketing team. That's as close as I can get, Fred. Fred Johnson is here, and um, he's uh, joining us on uh, his first appearance on TWIP. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Scott. I don't know if I'm a senior honcho, but you know what? I'm going to wear that badge for this podcast. Yeah, well, if, you're, if your bosses hear this show, maybe that'll somehow get you a raise. You've That's just what I'm been, thinking. <laughs> you've just been promoted. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we go any further, Fred, uh, uh, Steve and Alex and I have all had the opportunity uh, to introduce ourselves in the first episode of TWIP, but you haven't had that chance, so why don't you take just a minute and give everybody your photo background? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, it began when I joined the United States Air Force, um, and I'm not going to name the year because that will uh, show how many rings this tree has, but uh, I joined the United States Air Force as a photographer, and then uh, I, was in, I was in for about eight years, and then uh, sort of moved up the ranks to combat photojournalist. So I got to take pictures in new and exciting places. Um, so I did that for a while. And then when I left the military, I came to Silicon Valley and sort of did the did a, a high-tech tour of duty here um, at companies like Yahoo and Apple. And most recently, I'm now at Adobe. And um, as you indicated before, I'm the senior marketing manager for Lightroom and uh, pro photography here. So I get to not only play with all of our software, but also try to influence people into seeing the light about how Lightroom is the, you know, the perfect tool for uh -huh. Well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving right along, um, I, I thought we'd start this show. I'm just going to give a, a, a brief rundown of what I saw at PMA. Was anybody else at PMA? I, I went for a quick minute and was, uh, you know, both unimpressed and impressed at the same time. Okay. I was not uh, physically there, but spiritually I was there, and I was sort of making note of all the cool things that I thought were interesting, and uh, I kind of wished I was there. Well, I was physically present in the building for three days, and my feet will attest to that. Um, the two full floors of exhibits in the South Hall, it seemed really big. I mean, I remember years that it wasn't this big, let's put it like that. So there was a there was a good vibe. Um, there was a lot of things that caught my eye, and I will have to say I spent more money at this show than I intended, given the fact that it's a show for the trade. They don't usually have much direct sales, but I somehow managed to buy a bunch of junk. Um, good for you. Yeah. Um, and I saw some stuff that's, that's really cool. Um, i got to talk about the Sigma lens. If you go to the blog, twipphoto.com, a couple of entries ago on my PMA thing, I have a picture of this green monster. It's a 35-pound lens. Wow. 2 to 500 <laughs> F2.8. <to> <laughs> And, does it come with an assistant? Uh, no, it does not. Uh, and you can put an extender on it that turns it into, a, get this, 500 to 1,000 F5.6. Sweet. 
That, you know, that's amazing. Like, but can you can you save some money and just walk a few feet closer? You, you, you know, <laughs> there are there are times when that might work, given the fact that I've had far too close proximity to elephants in Africa. I think I'd I'd stay back with the thousand if I could. There you uh, go. Elephants yeah. are mean. Um, uh, this thing is going to retail between, and and I got this from Sigma's president. Get this: thirty and forty thousand dollars. So wow. Anyway. It, it was it was really attracting attention. On the more uh, reasonable side, they did have the Canon 200 F2, which was drawing a lot of attention, and the Canon 800 F56 IS. Uh, interestingly enough, two pounds lighter than my 600 F4 IS, which I thought was cool. And I did put it in an order for the 800. I got to have that. Uh, I'm not. So going it's got to, thirty thirty to forty thousand dollars for a camera lens. What's the target market for that? I mean, photographers eight, aren't generally rich folks. You know? Eight people on the planet, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to make hey, them Scott? one off. Yes, sir, Steve. I was going to ask you because the Sigma booth had something that was the opposite of what you were looking at that I thought was really exciting, and that was that so, the Sigma DP1, that little camera with the big sensor. Did you get to see that at all? I, I did, and that was what I was going to talk about next. Um, okay. The, the, DP, the DP1, unfortunately, is not available to ship right now, but it uses their famous Foveon uh, image sensor, and it's 14 megapixels. So I, th- I thought that was interesting. A little you know, compact camera about the size of the Canon G9, Alex. And yeah, it, it, now what's, did, did we have a price point on that? Um, let me finish looking at the press release, because when I was at the show, they did not, they did not name a price point, but it's supposedly going to be under $1,000, yeah. but there's, wow. there's still no price point listed for it, um, and they said it might be well under $1,000, um, but oh, they're, really, they're really trying to shake up the compact market, because this is an amazing sensor when you look at it uh, you know, in, a, in a compact camera. It's an F4 lens, equivalent to a 28 on a 35 millimeter SLR. It does have the, the raw capability, which was, of course, the big mistake with the G7 when the Canon came out. They had to add that to the G9. Um, it has uh, you know, all the standard little pop-up flash. It does have a manual focus. Uh, wow. Does, which I thought was interesting. Two and a half inch LCD monitor. It does uh, 30 frames per second video, kind of low res, but it does it. Uh, a hot shoe for flash. I mean, it, it's a real camera. And uh, Can I add, ask you guys a question? Because why is it we've waited so long for these little compacts to have the big sort of DSLR sensor? And why, why you know, how come like Canon, Nikon, you know, the other big D, DSLR makers haven't kind of done this? What, what do you think about that? Well, it's got to do with sensor, photo sensor sight size. And um, what we don't know is what these... I, I saw some images that were purportedly from this camera, and I didn't really get to examine them closely. But typically, when you pack a lot of megapixels, Steve, onto a small sensor, you end up with a big image that's got lots of noise. And, and no, that I know. That I know. But the, this, this uses the bigger sensor that's in the, the right. DSLRs. And I'm, I'm just wondering why we haven't seen you know, anyone else try this before now, particularly, you know, the professional systems like Nikon or, or Canon. Yeah, that, that part I don't know the answer to. I asked the, the Sigma people, you know, what was the secret sauce? And they said, well, it wouldn't be secret sauce if we told you. So, uh, <laughs> um, you, know, you know, it may have to do with just rolling, rolling these, these products out as the market will absorb them. You know, why not, why not sell the cheaper sensors for as long as you can and then upgrade? You know, I don't think it's a matter of, 
um, hey, we've got all these great sensors in the back room. Let's let's you know throw everything that we can that we can possibly put in right now. You know, I'm sure there think there are technologies that they have that they could incorporate today that they're not because why should today? Well, you know, it, it it really was drawing an awful lot of attention when it starts shipping. I believe in April. Or may we'll get a lot better look at the camera and decide if it's worth all that. In the meantime, I'm not waiting. I made the decision to join Alex and uh, put in my order for a G9. Um, it's a great, it's a great little camera. It's, it's. I will say that at higher ISOs, you know, it's, it's. Uh, I would say 1600 a, um, the 1600 ISO on the G9 is. Um, only basically useful. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, it's, it's great to be able to turn it to there, but it's it's really grainy. In fact, I used it as a grain example uh, on on uh, the lab with Leo. I'm just showing how grainy things can get. Um, uh, but but I do say, I have to say that I think right now as a pocket camera, until we get to test this one, the G9 is probably, in my opinion, the best one that I can put in my jeans pocket. I played uh, with the Casio for you, Alex. What did you think? It's it's odd. It, it's it's odd. <laughs> It does. So this things, is, you know, to back it up, this is the Casio. This is the Casio that shoots up to twelve hundred frames a second. Yes, uh, but at like three eighty four by ninety two or something, right? Well, no. It, it, it's first of all, it has a sixty frame per second burst mode. And how how many how many uh, total? One sixty frames. Now in still mode, it's one second. So you press the button, it shoots sixty frames. Right. And right. you can get like you know if you wanted to do stop action stuff, like somebody doing a card trick. Um, it'll do 1,200 frames per second video as long as your memory card will hold it. And it does this weird flash burst mode where you can just like say, okay, I want seven flashes in the next, you know, seven exposures, and it'll just do a little burst of flash. It's got a fixed lens on it. It's about $1,000. They let me play with it. Um, <laughs> I've just never seen anything quite like it, so I, I don't know what to think of it. I, I, it looks like it wants to maybe start that bridge we think is coming between real traditional cameras and whatever the next thing is. But it's an interesting little toy. So aside from sports, what would what would the use cases be for a sixty frame per second camera? Like I say, just trying to just like doing that famous shot of the bullet going through the apple. Well, I mean, that's the 1,200 frames a second. The, the, with the 60 frames a second, I think, I mean, and, and that would work also with the Apple, but the, the 60 frames a second, I think, is also, if you're shooting your kids and they're going to do, I mean, there's been plenty of times where I was, I was a half a second off, uh, you know, when my kids are about to jump or do something or move or whatever, and being able to grab a group of that. So, I mean, I think that while we think of only sports as like, you know, NFL, there's also sports as in Little League and, you know, wrestling and I, I don't whatever. see I don't see pros using this camera though. I mean, it's, it just looks too right. much like a toy. But I will say the funniest thing. I mean, to me, what was really weird about this show. I mean, you walk in and of course, Canon has the front booth. They always seem to have the big front booth. Fujifilm had the other side of the hall. You walk in deeper. Nikon's got a huge booth. But then all of a sudden, you saw these huge booths for companies like Casio and Samsung and GE. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, GE, what the heck's going on? Were they at the right trade show? The, I was going to ask that question, but they had this. <laughs> and what was really funny is they had this gargantuan booth and these little teeny exhibits with pocket cameras on them. <laughs> it, looked, it, it was just bizarre. Um, anyway, so th that was some of the stuff I saw that was bizarre. Uh, cool things. I f came upon a fella who runs a service called Crop Lines, and he'll etch an 8x10 uh, viewing pane on your on your uh, camera for you if you have one that has you know um, the removable deal inside of it. So that was kind of cool. 
I let him I let him do it to my D40 just to see what it was like and it works. <laughs> so I mean, wow. you know, some people have some people have problem, you know, guessing what an 8x10 is going to look like and then they end up having to do weird things in Photoshop. Uh, right. So I just thought it was an interesting story. It's kind of spendy, 140 bucks. But uh, if you want to, if you do like a lot of wedding or school shooting, if you school, shoot school photography, he's got a template he'll put on that the schools all like. He'll do any kind of custom templates you want. His uh, URL is croplines.com. I thought that was cool. I bought a bag from these guys called Boda out of Seattle. Um, there's a brand new bag company. They haven't even had a website really for long, and they've been selling direct. But they decided to go through retail channels called the Boda Dry. It's a hip pack. It's a shooting pack. I really, really like it goboda.com I, I bought one with my own money i didn't get a review copy i paid cash do you guys as photographers know any photographer that doesn't have like 12 bags too many <laughs> well, I, my problem now is that I, I speak at a lot of events and that seems to be the, the the thing that you give people when they speak at your event now whether it's nab or or gotcha. uh, mac or whatever they give you a bag and so i just i'm, I'm accumulating everybody else, else's bags like i had a I think when I spoke at NAB last year, I think I got a Kata bag, which I loved. I um, think there are support groups for for bagaholics like us, and I think a lot of photographers, you know, you just you're ser- searching for that perfect bag, and I guess there's no perfect bag because every isn't. assignment might. Yeah. So we can justify having eighty bags. I, and and I'm I, you got me right on the head, Steve. I got a bunch <laughs> of bags, but they're all for different reasons. What what exactly. what do you traditionally shoot out of? Well, gosh, I've got I've got. You know, again, different bags, you know, some, some for, you know, depending on, on what the assignment is. But I like to sort of go, you know, I keep all my equipment sort of in one area, in this sort of locker area. And then I'll, I'll sort of go sort of like uh, Tiger Woods would choose a club. Not that I'm uh, equating myself to that. But, you know, choose the right bag for the right assignment, depending on what you want to bring. But mm-hmm. so I've got Domkey bags and I've got Think Tank bags and Low Pro bags and you name it. Is there one bag that you go to more often than any other? Well, lately I've been using that Think Tank International roll on, roll, uh, rolling bag. Yeah, Think Tank because, makes uh, really good bags. Yeah, when I hit uh, 40, all my bags now have wheels, and <laughs> you know, all, my, all my shoes are slip-ons, and I'm just trying to make things easy for myself. Yeah, well, cross but that. That's one. a great cross tip, that. Steve. I was wondering why my, bag, my back hurts all the time. I think I need to switch <laughs> to the rolling bags now. <laughs> yeah, cross yeah, over, I think the, when you cross I, over I was, to 50, Steve... You'll get an assistant. Oh, gotcha. That's even better. That's even better. But one thing I will say is the the shrinking bag. And for those of us that are traveling, as particularly internationally, and I know um, Alex has spent a lot of time in Africa, um, what they allow on board now is is constantly changing, and it's not getting any bigger. And and they're sometimes weighing the stuff, and it's getting a little bit difficult at times depending where you're traveling to and the smaller the bag for me um the more confident i am that i'm going to be able to hang on to it through my travel well there was every kind of bag company in the world had a presence at this show there were there were i I do want to mention that there's a there was something really refreshing um jill e designs was there with bags for female photographers and their booth was packed I mean, and they were just cool. had a little booth way in the back of the show. I mean, you had to really look for them, and that you couldn't get near these ladies. They had designed all these cool bags that had the function of your average, you know, low pro bag or your domkey bag, but the looks of like a, a you know Paris runway uh, models bag. And oh my gosh, wow. the, the female photographers were snapping them up. Um, yeah, our friend Liana Lehua from GirlsGoneGeek.tv immediately bought a bag. 
And um, yeah, my, my problem is, is that I'm, I'm actually, I have like eight bags that are laying, laying here in my office. I'm just looking around. I have eight bags in the office and I'm actually sitting here doodling with designing my own because they're still not fitting, you know, all the, you know, cause I need it to look like not a, my big thing is, is that I need a photo, I need a photo bag that doesn't look like a, like I'm carrying cameras. Right. Well, perhaps right. the Jilly right. bag would work for you, Alex. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, I just need it to, you know, I need it to look like a rucksack, you know, ah. like I'm some, some poor, uh, you know, crossing the, crossing Africa, you know, in a tent kind of person. I just and, want to uh, hit a couple other things. The new Canon Digital Rebel was just really a big hit at the show. Likewise, in the Nikon booth, even though it wasn't announced at the show, everybody still wanted to come see the D300. Um, th- there was tons and tons of, of people excited about the Digital Rebel. Now, this is an interesting camera, guys. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it actually has some specs that supersede the 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 40D. So, what what uh, what is the price? What's the MSRP on this one? Uh, it's you know like all the Digital Rebels under a thousand dollars. Right, and the uh, and the um, twelve megapixels though the the 40 is only ten. Now the right. diff- the difference is the frame rate is three and a half versus six and a half, mm-hmm. and the focusing points are not the special focusing nine point focusing points that the forty has. Well, and I also think that I, I have a real sensitivity. I have to admit that I'm a little addicted to the to my wheel in the back. Yeah, there's a couple of small differences, but I will say they have bridged the gap. And if I was if I was somebody with Canon lenses or just starting out and wanted to get a really inexpensive, near-pro-quality camera, I'd take a hard look at this thing. In fact, it's better than any camera I bought up till five years ago. Well, and, and, and you know, my, uh, we, had a, we had a couple of questions come in related to that, like, what would you get? Um, what kind of camera should I get now? And uh, I know that with my, uh, my two sisters, uh, one who's a, uh, who wants to mostly just shoot pictures of her daughter and the other one that's a very, very accomplished photographer but has always been in film, um, you know, both of them are looking at getting a new camera for, for my, my, uh, older sister who or, or the older of the two. Um, you know, I was like, you know, you just get a, she's getting a 40 D mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, with, and a couple lenses. Um, and she, you know, she was kind of, she started at the 20 D at the rebel and then she decided she wanted the 20 D and then she decided she wanted the 40 D and she just kind of kept on moving with my other sister. I mean, yeah, a, a base rebel with a 50, you know with a 50 millimeter 1.8 lens i mean she she didn't want to spend more than $500 and what i couldn't believe is that you could actually get one you could actually get a rebel um, or a or a nikon uh, is it a 40x is that right i think so i think um, so a 40x i have to, I have to be honest i'm not a nikon guy so i don't know steve that is. Well. so steve yeah i'm a nikon guy they they've got that new d60 that they've announced which i think is going to replace the 40x or at least yeah the d60 it, it is the camera similar. thank you for reminding me it's the d60 and that had a, that had drawn a lot of attention as well now is that taking is the d60 taking this advantage of the same technology they've used to move up the the, the d300 as far as i know well, they're they're employing all those new technologies in all their new bodies I have a D300 and and, um, Alex, I I took it uh, on my last trip to Rwanda and I have to say I I accidentally shot something at 3200 ISO uh, just because previous to the D300 you wouldn't ever attempt to go really beyond 800 ISO just because the low light uh, sensitivity, uh, the noise was not good in the in the Nikon's, and I was I was blown away like we've all been hearing and reading, and but I have you know I have the picture to prove it, and uh, and I just can't wait to maybe try the D3, which apparently is even even better in the the noise department at high ISOs. Yeah, that's, so, I'll tell you, I, I had a chance to play with that D3 uh, a couple months ago at the, the Eddie Adams workshop in New York, 
um, Nikon was there sponsoring, and they graciously uh, let the, the faculty and the student body for the workshop have D3s for the entire weekend with their choice of lenses. Oh, and uh, nice. that, that I'm, a, I'm a Canon shooter, uh, so my, my, my sort of historic camera of choice has been Nikon in the Air Force, and when I got out, I switched to digital um, with the Canon. Playing with that D3, I got to tell you, it was it's the closest thing to magic <laughs> that, that I can say in terms of light sensitivity. I was yeah. we, picture this scene: we're upstate New York on a farm in the middle of the night with not, the only light source was uh, a light on the barn about you know maybe a thousand feet away, two thousand feet away. So you, your eyes had to sort of open up to their widest aperture in order to see around. Um, we could take usable noise-free pictures and silhouettes and, you know, all that kind of stuff with the D3. It was, it was amazing. That's, that's amazing, Fred. You know, I, just before we went on, I, we were talking with Alex, and I was, we were sort of commenting on how just in this last maybe year and a half, the technology has changed to the point where I think we're going to start to see photography change because, you know, pictures like you described um, just could not be had, you know, before yeah. this kind of technology. So it'll be interesting to see what, how photography changes, you know, with this Casio and, and all this new technology. Yeah, it's going to basically the D3 uh, in some ways obviates the necessity to bring a flash with you because, you know, we can, in, unless you want to do flash type effects, I, I found no instances with that D3 where I wanted to augment the available light with flash, you know, whether inside or outside. It was just the thing, the, the sensor can see better than I can. So it was just amazing. Well, speaking of Flash, this is an opportunity to segue to another product I saw at PMA that I thought was really fantastic, Light Panels Micro. This Ooh. is a little LED light, which means it does not get hot, that you put on your camera where the flash socket is, and you turn it on and you have a constant source of light. It Ooh. even has a dimmer switch that lets you control the light. And for those people who have trouble seeing what effect Flash might have on their picture... This uh, is a really interesting little addition. You can run this on a video camera too, Alex, if you just need a, a quick little hot light up there to, to you know, bring up the eyes in an in a interview. But my gosh, right. this booth also completely crowded, 400 bucks for these things. It comes in a nice little kit. You can get some different you know, filters to change the color of it. It runs on AA batteries, which you can get anywhere. It's light. It never gets hot. I was extremely impressed. Ordered one of those. I also want to talk about Nick Software. They, yeah. of course, have been the people behind some of the stuff for the Nikon folks, but we, we know their Color Effects Pro product. I've recommended it before. Version 3 is out, and it's really cool. But what was really exciting is their new product, which is in beta, and I don't know if I'm saying this right, called Viveza. Does anybody know if I pronounce that right? No, I'm not familiar with that. Viveza uses that U-point technology to completely eliminate the need for a mask. And I mean completely. You have a bride's dress in a field of wheat. You want to bump up the gold in the wheat without making the bride's dress change color. Use this U-point technology. Boom, bada-boom, bada-boom. No problem, no mask, no nothing. Uh, it, it is, it, it's crazy uh, what's going on. It's not shipping yet. In fact, it's in beta, and they added me to the beta team. It's spendy, 250 bucks. But what I saw of it was just amazing windows and mac compatible for those people who have to do a lot of masking this will change the way folks use yeah. their computers 
That's that's very exciting, Scott. Because you know, I've I've seen. I haven't really used it so much, but the Nikon software's got that that same technology, and it is far superior uh, to to sort of traditional um, masking approaches. And to have it as a, I believe it's a plugin it to is. Photoshop. Right? Photoshop or and, Elements. Yeah, that's going to be pretty exciting, I think, and it's great for Photoshop. Yeah, it it really is. Color Effects Pro 3.0 it uses some of that U-point technology as well. I've been playing with that a lot lately. That 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 actually has me, you know, enjoying my time in Photoshop again because I I call that plugin up and I do all kinds of crazy stuff that would take a lot of layer mask and a lot of of work otherwise, and they've just helped to make it very simple and easy to use. This new product, Viveza, when it ships, we'll have a, a very in-detail look at it. I think, Alex, we should do a screencast about it because it's it's pretty neat. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree. And <clears throat> have you found that, the, have you played with their Define at all? I And they just gave me a copy of Define 2.0. I, I worked with Define 1.0 and I thought it was good. I haven't used the new one yet. Mm-hmm. But we'll check it out. Um, there's, there's a couple, because I'm kind of curious. We, I've, I've played with another program called um, Noise Ninja. That's another is- good program fairly inexpensive that that has that does it, it depends on the on the image but right. it can uh, definitely recover something that otherwise you weren't going to use well what I, I i do want to use this opportunity to segue since we got fred on the show to mention my first my disillusionment and disappointment that there was no aperture upgrade announced by apple this would have been the place to do it Everybody knows me, knows I'm an Aperture guy. I'm a T3 Apple certified Aperture trainer. I've been using it since day one. Taught the very first public Aperture class with Derek Story at Macworld. I was in that, I was in that class, Scott. That's it was right. a great class. That's where I yes, met you, absolutely. Steve. Well, absolutely. I like Aperture, but I was really disappointed to hear that there was no announcement. And I'm a little bit worried that, you know, Apple's letting this wither on the vine. That said... Don't think you're off the hood, hood, uh, hook, Fred. Um, you notice, uh, notice my curious silence. On this. <laughs> that, that said, I, I talked with a lot of people at the show. I mean, a lot of people and said, well, how, you know, do you use Lightroom? Do you use Aperture? And I got a lot of ambivalence. I know a lot of professional photographers. I've been around, you know, shooting with these guys for 30 years. And I've been around digital from day one with a lot of these same guys. And they're like, you know, they're not excited about either one. And everybody keeps saying, we're not sure that anything that's been devised yet really solves the problem. So I, I don't know. There, there was obviously more interest in Lightroom than there was Aperture at the show since Apple was absent. But otherwise, I, I just I got a lot of ambivalence from people, folks thinking that neither one seems to be fitting the bill. Aperture does some cool things but needs a couple of upgrades. Lightroom yeah. has a, a learning curve that's a little stymieing to some people. And Fred, um, I just, you know, I, since you're a guy that's obviously involved with Lightroom, just wondered what your take on all of that might be. Well, you know, of course, I can't. I, I have no insight into what Apple is thinking or doing, of course. And even if I did, I wouldn't say. But, um, you know, but what I can say a lot of insight is it's different to different space than it was a year ago, you know, or 18 months ago when, when these applications first sort of hit the scene and there, there was the excitement and the fervor over, you know, finally, you know, from photographers, finally these, these large companies understand what we need and they're taking steps in that direction. We don't have to sort of hobble things together, you know, applications that are focused at the pro photographer, you know, designed by and for professional photographers. So that was then, you know, and now we're at the point where the, the honeymoon is over and 
you know, the market is starting to shake out and people are or sort of shaking off that the newness of let me try out this new shiny toy and they're down to, hey, I've got images to process. What's my path of least resistance? And I think where, you know, one of the places where Adobe shines is, you know, with the commitment to digital imaging. And, and I, I know I completely sound like a marketing guy right now. I'm trying to rein that back. But with, uh, you know, being able to update, say, Camera Raw. You know, so Camera Raw, you know, the updates with in Lightroom and Camera Raw, the Camera Raw plugin in Photoshop go out in tandem. And we do that frequently, and it's not tied to anything else. So it's not like, you know, the, the, the update for Camera Raw has to wait for a major update to Photoshop or some other application. It happens whenever cameras come out. So we'll do a dot release for Camera Raw and for Lightroom if, say, Nikon introduced the D3, D3 or D300, which we did. So those, those cycles mirror the cameras that are out there, which in turn mirror what professional photographers are using. So, you know, if you go out and say, hey, you know what, I've been saving my money, it's time for me to make the jump to get a D3, you want to go get that and then have it work when you get home. And that's what we sort of march to. You know, it's not so much... Um, you know, our money is, is on the development cycle for Photoshop or, you know, major releases of Lightroom. It's the other way around. It's so, sort of so driven jump, by the photographer. Let me jump in here and talk about the Aperture side of that coin. Aperture relies on a different approach to get its updates into the pipeline for the raw converter. Because you use, you don't use the CPU in Aperture, you use the GPU Basically, uh, Apple has to update OS X or update Aperture specifically to include new cameras. Now, they've said all along that they will not that they will issue those updates independent of any other OS X improvements. I don't know that we've seen tons of evidence that supports that. We have seen some, but it is. Hey, Scott? It, hang on a second, Steve. It is generally yes. accepted that Apple is a little behind Adobe in that regard. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I was just going to say, I too, of course, am a, an Aperture user. Uh, sorry, Fred. But, uh, you know, that's got to be one of the biggest uh, frustrations uh, in this past couple of months, few months even. Um, and that and that is, you know, the, the D3 and the D300 come out. And there are a lot of, uh, you know, f- professional photographers that have jumped on these new new cameras for obvious reasons. And there's no support. So, or sorry, there's no raw support in Aperture. So they're forced to kind of leave Aperture and... And frankly, I, I think uh, you know Apple has has lost a lot of uh, uh, people just because it's taken so long and it's still not available. There is still no uh, raw support. We're waiting any day for the new uh, Leopard uh, fix, but it hasn't come out yet. I agree, yeah. and that's that's why I brought that up. I think Apple's been remiss. It doesn't help when you know there's no updates. It doesn't help. That, that's why I said I was disappointed that there was no 2.0 at at the show. So Adobe clearly has the jump on that side of the coin. Adobe has generally been uh, the winner in the raw conversion race in terms of com- comparisons with Aperture. In my opinion, they've been the winner mostly because that's what the, the raw converter style from Adobe was what people were used to. So they liked that better. I don't know that it was necessarily better. But you yeah. know, when it comes to some of the other features, um, it feels like 
based on my limited, and I will admit to having very limited experience with Lightroom, it feels like Lightroom's a little bit behind Apple on some of the things with regard to image organization, uh, the stacking and, and that sort of thing. But um, wh yeah. what, what are the plans, Fred, if you can tell us, how often does Adobe intend to update Lightroom? Well, you know, it's it, it's currently in version 1.31 right now. Um, but, you you know, I can't speak to development schedules exactly. But, you know, you can generally expect a release on the year, right? So, right. Uh, or a whole number, a whole number release every year. That's that's sort of what the, the typical industry standard accepted rate is for updating these types of applications with minor bug updates throughout the year and camera support updates throughout the year. But, you know, to address your, your earlier point about, you know, sort of it being easier to, aperture being easier to use than Lightroom, um, I would say, you know, it's more of, I think it's subjective. You know, photographers are creatives, you know, at the core, and the people operate differently, you know. Who's to say that Aperture's workflow is worse or better than Lightroom? It depends on who you are and what your workflow is. You know, I think there's absolutely a gazillion people out there that, that love the free flow form of an Aperture-like application. And there, there's also a, a ton of people out there that love the sort of modular linear feel of a Lightroom-like application. So, you know, I think there's room for both rooms of, you know, or, 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 or both methodologies in the market. You don't have to say one is better than the other. I think it's, you know, it's whatever works for you. Well, I, Alex and I, and Steve, you're welcome to make the trip to join us if you care to, are, are going to turn this into a project. Our, our listeners will be excited to know that Alex and I, Alex, of course, is, you, you've been using Aperture, right? Yeah. Uh, we, not we, as well as you. Not as well as me, okay. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take a, a trek. We're going on a field trip to Adobe where Fred has been kind enough to help us get some remedial assistance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to learn a little bit more about Lightroom, and we're going to see if we can't bridge our knowledge gap so that we can talk more intelligently about both products, since we already know a lot about Aperture, and then we'll report on that progress. Does that sound fair, Fred? Absolutely. You guys are welcome to come down. We'll we'll set up a little conference room and do a, uh, a you know a top hat and cane show. I, I I like that. Just remember, heavy emphasis on the word remedial. <laughs> yeah sort of where I, you, how, how many years have you been shooting scott i don't think it's remedial well the shooting part is not my problem it's 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 the software part i have to think of. i still think like a film photographer steve do you suffer from that a uh, little bit a little bit but i think I, I have to say i've just completely embraced the uh the digital realm and though i i still have one film camera actually two film cameras that i've hung on to um, I haven't used them, and I, I keep thinking that I'm. Uh, there's going to be a time, but you know, I I just haven't used them, and I've watched their value slowly depreciate uh, to the they're point where there's good, no. They're very good paperweights now, Steve. Exactly, yeah. I know, I know. Well, I haven't shot film for 11 years, and in fact, when I went to the PMA and I saw the Fuji film booth, which was like I don't know seven miles long, there was like 12 inches of it dedicated to actual film. <laughs> <laughs> they had it in a little but case, yeah. like a museum or something. It was it was kind of cute. But one thing that I thought that I, that Fuji started is starting to move uh, with some of their ads, at least, um, is this idea of of being able to have a live preview on your on your SLR form factor. Yeah, you know, being able to look at your look at the LCD like you would with a with a, a point and shoot. Yeah, yeah. That all of those all those companies are going to that. I I don't I don't know. Does anybody think that's real important? 
I, I think it's important for things like macro photography or if you're you're playing around with a product like the Lens Baby or something like that where, where every little breath you take changes your focal plane. Well, and, and I also, uh, this gets into this whole, do we really need a SLR? I mean, we, we need to have interchangeable lenses, but do we really need to have that mirror moving around at all? Mm. You know I mean? You know, the, the, you know it's, it's, it's an interesting, I think that they did it because it kept traditional photographers feeling comfortable with what they were looking at. Um, but why don't we just feed it why don't we just feed that video into the eyepiece? That, you know, it's, and it's interesting. To, it's an interesting question. You know, because yeah. it makes too much noise. I mean, that's that's the thing for me is that is that when I'm trying to take you know, and, and this is one of the questions actually that we had a uh, uh, a, a listener ask, um, and I'm trying to try to find out who asked this. But I the one of the things that people were really taken by was this um, this kind of a pro- approach that Steve was talking about in the first episode of of um, how uh, to be kind of more. In- Just lost um, you there, Alex, for a second. Yeah. Whoops, sorry. Uh, one of the things that that uh, that we uh, um, that Steve had talked about a little bit, and I think we had all kind of touched on it, but Steve had really, uh, you know, gotten into this process of being an invisible photographer, someone who wasn't, uh, you know, was very, um, you know, people didn't feel like they were there, and and in photojournalism, obviously, that's really important, and um, and I uh, I think that you know some of the stuff for me is not having a you know not having a flash. Uh, and the second piece for me is that is having the camera be really quiet. <laughs> and um, that's what I liked about the Leica for, you know, the old, if we go back into film, is you just never felt like you, you just didn't hear it at all, you know, um, yeah. as you're firing. Steve, did you have anything to say about Well, no, I was just going to, well, you mentioned the Leica, and I just, on, on, on sort of the technical level, I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, Leica now is offering an upgrade to the M8, uh, where they're going to, for 1,200 euros, uh, install some sort of sapphire glass on the back that makes it impenetrable to scratches. And, but more interestingly, they've got a new shutter that apparently is quieter than the old film Leica shutters. Wow. Uh, and that's pretty interesting. So that's maybe uh, uh, the future of maybe an M9 or something down the road. But any M8 owner out there can have this upgrade done. Uh, it's done in Germany, and it takes, I guess, a couple of weeks. But, uh, but no, I, I guess to, to answer your question, certainly, and um, you know, the the less the less the less uh, you stand out, uh, the more chance you have of of blending in in the surroundings. Um, but that being said, I mean, I I used for years the the D2X. I'm sort of forced to use that that big body. So you have to find maybe other ways to kind of. Uh, tone down your presence, and, and so I guess my loud Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, you could have the you could have the, you could have the quietest camera in the world, but if you have that million dollar lens that Scott was talking about, you you can stand out regardless. Or the Hawaiian shirt that you're wearing, Scott. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, that tends to give me away pretty quickly. Hey, before before yeah. we go any further, I want to quickly mention we have a blog that supports the podcast or the podcast supports the blog depending on your point of view it's called twipphoto.com t-w-i-p-p-h-o-t-o.com where we have information that is not shared on the podcast as well as information relevant to the podcast we also have created a Flickr group and the link is there at twip photo and if you would like to send pictures and just join us in our little happy family and photographing things and putting them up there, we're, we're going to try to come up, I think, with some organized things like contests or critique sessions. Right now, we don't have anything organized because that's just kind of how, how we are. But we, we do have some photos from PMA that I just put up there. So check both of those things out if you get a chance, twipphoto.com. It's also a great place to leave comments. And Alex, we do have the Twip ideas set up, right? Yep, 
Uh, yeah, you can if you uh, if you see something happening in the news, uh, if you just simply tag it uh, in Delicious with uh, uh, with um, Twip ideas, uh, you will that way we can see those things going by. And we we don't miss them. Yeah. Uh, so rather than sending us an email about everything you want us to cover, just just see something that you like, tag it in Delicious with Twip ideas, and we will be checking that before the show and yeah. see if there's something there that we think might be relevant. You can also, you can still email us as well. So it's, uh, and what's it's that email address? Twipitpixelcore.com. Twipitpixelcore.com. Yeah. So, uh, so you can uh, send us, send us stuff. We're going to put, we're going to build a web form for that as well. Um, but right now email is fine. We're getting lots of great emails and a lot of great ideas. I, I, I want to try to refer back to people here The what the, um, uh, but I, but I think that uh, just keep it coming. And there's a lot of really good information people are sending us. So. Well, and and we got to wrap this thing up here, um, real quick. I want to make sure that we never do a show without at least one photo tip because I want the show to be really helpful to people, not just news based or punditry, but but real, real help. And and Steve, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, you don't, you haven't been prepped for this, but. Uh, <laughs> Given the quality of your photography and your, your presence in the industry, I'm going to ask you this week to give us a very quick, short tip for anybody that might help improve their photography. Okay. Well, I guess um, uh, one tip that I can think of, and I'm constantly kind of harping on it to my students, and that is um, to concentrate on, on a theme and sort of ask yourself, you know, what is it that maybe you enjoy photographing the most you know what is what is your passion with the camera and then and then identify it and then maybe figure out some sort of like a photo story or coverage almost reportage I mean that's the background that I come from but when you start to do that and you start to look for different angles on sort of the same subject or theme um, it gets exciting once you get a few images that you you like and then you start adding to it and before you know it you've got sort of this collection of, of work um, that you can, you know, exhibit in your house, in your find a venue, wherever, you know, have a little book done on it, you know, make these little books, and who knows where it, it may end up? It may end up in a an actual exhibit somewhere or, or an actual book. So, I guess what I'm saying is to, um, you know, dig a little deeper with whatever it is that you like to photograph, and see if you can put together a series on it. Yeah, I, you know, I, we we've done some stuff where we have a, a, a challenge. You know, we, we've challenged Pixel members to. Uh, to go out and shoot stuff. And it's amazing how you get, um, you know, we've had, uh, you know, two or 300 people go out and we end up with five, six, 700, uh, people doing, um, pictures of, uh, simple things like doorknobs or, or, uh, or neon lights. And, and what's amazing is, is you do get to something where you feel like you could almost make that a book, you know, that's fascinating. I don't know if you guys saw, but there was a book that came out recently. I guess it was last year, and it, I think it was called "Everything I Ate in in a Year." And basically, this guy—and I wish I knew his name—I I should tell you. The photographs weren't great, but it was more of a catalog of everything that this person put into his mouth in 365 days. And the book is this thick little thing with with just a frame of everything that he ate in a year. And it is—they are photographs, but but. Together, it, it sort of takes on uh, a much uh, uh, bigger uh, sort of meaning. And when you flip through this thing, and if you actually actually thought about everything you ate in a year, uh, it, it's a little uh, frightening. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but anything could be a book. Any, any, any good idea what, that you have, if you follow it through, it, it, it becomes interesting as a collection, not so much the single image sometimes. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. Steve. You know, just the whole the whole idea of you know people that have a passion for photography and they get this camera and they go out and they say, "Hey, I want to go. I'm going to go shoot this weekend." They go take pictures of random things and then they come home and they don't really see anything that they like. I think what you said about picking a theme for yourself and just going out there and you know sort of focusing your mind on, "Hey, I'm only going to take photos of." you know, uh, I don't know, shopping carts, you know, and just sort of focus on capturing that one, that one topic in different ways that it focuses you, you know, and it gives you more sort of uh, excitement about what you're doing. And, you know, hey, I want to go find another one instead of, hey, there's a pretty picture of a tree. Let me take a picture of that. Oh, look at that. There's a person. Let me take a picture of that with no, no theme weaving it all together. Yeah, the, the the Martin Parr, the great Magnum photographer, known for his kind of sense of humor and his bright colors and his images, has a new book out called, I think it's called The Last Parking Spot. And through his travels, he would photograph parking spots. And I know it sounds kind of crazy and, and, and boring, but when you see these images, it, it you have to start to smile and start to look. And, and the pictures are well composed. And, and it's just a crazy idea that somehow... Um, you know, resonates a little bit. So, so no idea is necessarily a bad one. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things that that I notice is, is that there is something very different about the world when you take a photograph of something than when you just looked at it. Um, there's something about the active process. We we when we train 3D artists, uh, one of the things when, when they're trying to we're trying to get them to learn how to do photoreal work um, that you know is indistinguishable from reality. Um, you know, to me, it's about ten thousand photos. I mean, that's the, the fastest way to train them is to have them shoot 10,000, you know, t- take um, wow. 100 photos of, of doorknobs and 100 photos of signs and 100 photos of water damage and 100 photos of, and what happens is, is that it's not just, it's not go out and look at water damage, go out and look at um, doors, go out and look at, it. there's something about the active process of composing and framing and capturing something in your head that requires, I think, a lot more from your mind. Uh, a lot more of what you're approaching and, and has that um, become much more uh, real for you. And, and, and you. and I find that I look at things in a much different way after I've, you know, done that, you know. And, yeah, yeah, I think the other thing, Alex, is, is, is output on this, you know. So when you, when you sort of go into that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to photograph a certain theme, um, right. you know, several years ago, you know, or decades ago, there was, okay, now I have a bunch of slides that I have to go print and, you know, maybe they'll be exposed to other people at some point. Whereas today, you know, like you guys mentioned with Flickr and, and all these other output me- mechanisms, you can, you can open the, your work up to the world and get feedback on it. Or you can create a book through say iPhoto or Aperture or like blurb.com or something like that, where you can create a, a an audience for this work that you're shooting. So I found in my when I'm shooting, the fact that I know people are going to see this later affects the way that I shoot. You know more so than if I know, hey, I'm just going to snap this picture and it's never going to see the light of day. Right. Yeah. No. Hey. So so um, if, if people are wondering why why Scott is so quiet, it's because uh, there was a little internet blip on his end and he is um, offline. <laughs> so so Fred, I, you, I miss him. I miss him already. I know he's gone. It's the silence. <laughs> so I'm gonna. So Scott started the show, and I'm gonna have to cl- finish the show. So, um, but that's why we have two hosts. You know. So it's uh, yes. So the um, uh, so Fred, were you say? Did you say everything there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I closed it. I just wanted to, you know, make the point of having multiple ways to get your work out. Whereas, yes, you know, in yesteryear, your slides were sort of trapped in a slide box in a drawer yeah. somewhere. 
I mean, I find that I, I you know, I use the most simple version of stuff, uh, which is um, uh, I put up, I have an active folder in iPhoto. And this is for mostly for my, my stuff for my, uh, my family. Um, and I have one of those active folders in iPhoto where I just drag, you know, I just drag the new photos into it and it automatically updates to the internet. And, um, and uh, what's funny is, is that I, A, I get to see it a lot. I, my desktop images are changing and it's mostly my son right now. So, um, you know, he's eight weeks old. And so, um, oh. and uh, so most, most of them are there and people can see them. I mean, I don't, I don't try to hide it too much. If you go to, uh, people go to web.mac.com slash Alex Lindsay, you'll see all these photos updating and I've screwed up some, some of them, you know, I mean, I've screwed up how I put them up for some reason. But anyway, but the, the point is, is that the feedback that you get from family, from people looking at it also makes it, you almost start feeling like you, uh, which I think is good for me. It, it makes me feel like there's an imperative to keep on shooting. Yeah, yeah, because you're passively broadcasting, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what happens is, is then, and, and you get these emails about. I get an email about once a day from somebody who saw the, you know, saw the collection, and then they're like, "Oh, this is really, really great." And then you're like, "Oh, I better go shoot some more photos." So, uh, <laughs> so it's uh, so it's motivating. It is, and, and and just looking at them is motivating. I do think that there is something about reviewing your work that I think is really important. Um, you know. I think when I shot slides, I think, or film, a lot of times I would, things would just stay stacked, like you were talking about, Fred. And yeah. I'd review them a little bit, but I, I think that as a professional photographer, you have to do that all the time. But as a, as a um, there's sometimes there's a, I know people who shoot lots of photos and don't look at them very often. Um, yeah, and I think I look at every photo going, oh, you know, I should have framed over this way, or I should have done this, or I could have done this. And, and it's not that there's anything wrong with that photo. It's simply that, just that process of reviewing and thinking to yourself what was what would have made that a better photo i think makes it um you know you know kind of there's a part of your mind that puts that in the subconscious that that applies itself when you're shooting the next time yeah i think that uh, a lot of photographers you know like uh, fred and and you you alex have just mentioned have uh, a wealth of material that they photographed up until this point and it's kind of all stacked away it hasn't been organized i always suggest that that people that are you know newly excited about photography go back through the stuff that they've already shot and it's going to take a day or two but just go out and 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 look and and revisit the stuff and pull out the the diamonds and the pearls that are in there and you know have a little portfolio of what you've done in the past and and chances are you might even see some stuff that you you have no recollection of that are are really good you know and 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 by having that portfolio it sort of shows where you're at now where you've come from and and you know maybe pushes you to do even better you know as you continue to shoot yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. it's a it's a slice out of your past you know it's a 60th of a second from way back when right and, and I really, yeah, I really think that it's important. I'm, I'm in this process right now of trying to get through all of my film content um, and also all my DV tapes and everything else and archive them digitally um, just because I'm afraid they're going to go bad. <laughs> yeah. All, know, all those mixed tapes you made for ex-girlfriends, Alex? No, no, none of those. No, those, we're going <laughs> to let those ones uh, burn on the vine, yeah. you know. They, they hey, guys, on. just... Uh, I was just going to say that, you know, speaking of that, I don't know if you saw, but, you know, Robert Capra, the great war photographer, uh, recently there was a discovery, and it's now at the International Center of Photography, of 4,000 of his negatives that were uh, from, I guess, uh, the 30s and, and 40s in this valise, and they're, they're, they've previously not been seen, including the famous fallen soldier uh, picture that is somewhat uh, controversial as to whether it was staged. And, and this find, um, the, the negatives are all in fantastic condition after 60 years or whatever it is. 
And it sort of made me think, well, you know, what's going to happen 60 years if they find our pristine uh, hard drives and, and, <laughs> and CDs and DVDs? Um, are they worth anything? Will they be able to kind of well, the, get anything? This is, this, is, this is a way more technical thing than we would normally, uh, I think, probably talk about on this show. But I think that one of the things that we want to keep our eyes on is, is when we talk about um, archiving is um, a, um, a drive technology called ZFS. Um, so, you know, we have HFS, HFS currently, but one of the things that Apple's working on and something that Sun really um, developed is this, this idea of um, ZFS basically lets you have a cloud of drives. It keeps all the data on them. And as you add drives, it just kind of moves this cloud of information forward. And, and why that's important uh, for photographers is that what it means when as the technology becomes more available to us, it means that you just keep on adding the newer drives, which are going to be much bigger and much more, you know, robust, uh, into the cloud, and you slowly just remove the older drives out of the cloud, and it's there's a lot of redundancy. So you can take a drive out, and that information's still there. I know it sounds it's very hard when you're not used to uh, RAID technologies and redundant storage. It seems like you couldn't pull a drive out. Yeah, but but you it can. It sounds actually, like the Drobo, Alex. Is that is that the same technology that the, Drobo uses? The Drobo uses a uh, the Drobo uses a uh, it does RAID. Essentially, it's it's kind of doing a RAID five. It does a lot of work for you, so you don't have to think about it. Same thing where if if a drive goes down, uh, there's still backup. You know, and, and that's how like we have X serves here. We have uh, two X serves with fourteen drives each. We can lose I think up to two or three drives before we'd actually lose any data because of the way it's um, now. You you get a little less storage than you would with a normal drive because it's spreading all that stuff out. But it is um, anyway. It what what the ZFS is is is, is kind of that on steroids, um, which is uh, it just means that we're adding drives because now a drive that we can buy for five hundred dollars could hold five of the drives that we had two years ago, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so the idea is, is that you keep on adding the, the bigger storage forward and it, and it just, you slowly, now you do want to organize your footage, uh, organize your files and so on and so forth. But it means that you're just slowly moving all your data forward as you get older. It doesn't get back to if you stop doing anything with it, <laughs> which is, <laughs> you know, um, then we're, you know, there's, there's, a, there are going to be some issues, you know? I mean, I think that, um, I think there's a better chance that people are going to be able to read your CDs and your um, your H your not HDVD but Blu-rays. Um, those kind of storage, I think you're probably going to find a longer life, um, you know, yeah. in those. The the big problem we know, we don't know how long that 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 storage medium will last. Yeah. You know. So maybe the most archival way to keep things is prints. Uh, you know, it, it, it is. It, it just depends on, you know, if you can keep them in a pristine area. I, you know, it's still it's still like if you have these great photos, um, you know, printing it on archival paper and, and, and then putting it in a, in a good, you know, in a, in a good storage, um, you know, uh, system, I think is going to be definitely a way that, that you know that it's going to be um, scannable. But I think that, um, you know, most of us can find ways to get back to, you know, I, I know I just found uh, a box of zip drives. <laughs> oh, I remember the zip. <laughs> and it, it took a little bit of research for me to figure out whether I could, you know, I, and I had a zip, you know, I had a whole bunch of little zips and, and I, there's stuff on there that I'd really like to have back, you know, and, um, but it's been, you know, 10 years or 12 yeah, years. I think I remember my grandparents talking about zip drives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was back, back in the day, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but Quest and Bernoulli, remember those? <laughs> oh yes. 
Well, I just don't want to talk about it because I, I have figured out how to get the stuff off my zip drives. I have not figured out how to get stuff off my jazz drive. <laughs> so there's a, and those are the massive one and two giggers, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it was very exciting when I, when I got them, you know, because they would hold so much and now I can't get anything off of them, you know. And so if anyone's listening and you have a way to get stuff off jazz drives, you know, you can just email us. And, and, uh, and, uh, but, but the, um, uh, anyway, so it's a, it's a, it is a, I think that people have to pay attention to it. I think that one of the big things that I find, um, that sometimes I do well and sometimes I don't is, uh, really, um, being organized and disciplined about back, uh, about how you organize your photos. And this gets back into the whole aperture Lightroom, you know, doing something with them so that you can, there's an easy way to move it around. Mm. You know, um, you know, there's the one thing I do like about aperture is because it's cataloged and it's all in one big file you know that's easy for me to back up you know and 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 move um in some ways but i think that a lot of times i know that when i was early on i didn't pay as much attention to where my photos were and now i'm just trying to find them <laughs> i mean yeah i think uh, fred you'll speak to this with lightroom but certainly you know that was probably um the one thing that was missing from my workflow and a lot of professional photographers just weren't cataloging the way they they needed to and and when Lightroom and Aperture came along you know this was the missing link it it could do everything including catalog the stuff and and as we add to our archives and as we know I mean megapixelage is growing and and our archives are growing exponentially uh, we have to have find a way 10 years down the line you know how big are our archives going to be and we have to you know, work out a way to be able to find stuff and by, you know, choosing like a Lightroom or a, in my case, the Aperture that I embraced, um, it's a way to do it. So hopefully both of those softwares will be around, uh, you know, a hundred years from now. Yeah, well, you know, I can, I can't speak for a hundred years from now, but, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, (laughs) Lightroom will be around. Um, you know, and, and it's, I can tell you, working on this team, it's a, a team of engineers who also happen to be photographers, and they're very cognizant of all the issues that, you know, most photographers hit. And very near the top of that list, if not at the top, is archiving and making sure that your images, should some catastrophe happen, you know, will be available to you. You know, and I can tell you in the next, the next iterations of the application that those sorts of problems are, you know, will become less and less relevant, you know, as we, as we solve them. And, and one uh, of the you know, like, like Steve, or Steve, it was either you or, or uh, Alex, uh, who was talking about that, that 60 frame per second camera earlier. Oh, I, but, you I, know, I, yeah. you, you have these cameras that are making these mountains of images in a single shoot, you know, but we're, you know the camera, the, the the rate at which these cameras can capture images is increasing exponentially every year. But we're not keeping up with them in terms of our backup strategies. So well, it's exactly. sort of you know we're we're driving a million miles an hour on bald tires here. So well, and I think that I think we also need to be. I mean, I'm I'm teaching myself, and this is very hard to do. Is to be more disciplined about. You know, with digital, I shoot a lot more photos, and I have to realize that there are photos I'm really never going to use. You know, <laughs> you know, no, that's, no. that's the hardest thing to throw stuff out, though. I mean, it is. if you're kind of a pack rat mentality, I mean, I don't know what your place looks like, but if you were to see my place, you'll see that, you know, I have a hard time throwing stuff out. No, I, I have the same that, problem, but it's, it's, I, 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 there was, this, there was, I turned some, some kind of corner. Uh, I, here's what happened was I turned my corner in, in Africa because I was shooting and I was running out of, um, <clears throat> I was running out of card space and there was no way for me to get back to my computer to offload gotcha. and, and, I, and so I was stressed and so I so I started just going through the you know just spinning through the thing and deleting deleting photos that 
obviously I'm never going to use. You know, these, you know, I just shot something and there's no way. And, and this is a very dangerous thing to do, by the way, because yeah. you never want to do something that you think is, if it's close to being something, you just don't know on that little screen whether you know, the, it's, it's really uh, going to work. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, the, the, the big digital lesson, and it was in the film days with Dirk Halstead, who had the only photo of former President Clinton with Monica Lewinsky. And he had it because it was film, and it was just an innocuous frame that right. turned out to be a very valuable one, both financially and, and in terms of public exposure. And it's something that I think maybe a lot of digital photographers probably would have deleted. Yeah, and, and I have to say that, you know, that it's one of those things that when I'm shooting, you know, like I, I know that I shot um, probably uh, on Sunday, I probably shot uh, 150 or 200 photos of, of, my, uh, of my son. Um, we were walking around and I, that's what I do, you know. And so, um, but what I did is very quickly, I was, I was, you know, I didn't have a lot of space, you know, I mean, it, it was um, uh, the way I, the, anyway, I didn't have a lot of space on the card. And, um, and so I found myself just constantly editing down. And what I ended up with is, is just a much denser, pack of, of stuff. Now, I think that if I was shooting news, I, I don't, if I shoot news or, or, or something that's happening, you know, that's only going to happen once, I don't throw any of that away. But yeah. if, um, if I'm shooting stuff that, you know, artistically I can tell, well, I'm not going to really um, use this. I, I've gotten better at calling just because I just have too many photos. You know what I mean? I just, yeah. you know, otherwise I, you know, like for instance, you, you take this photo, this Casio and you shoot 60 frames of something where you're only <laughs> going to use one. You're going to have to, at some point in time, if you keep on shooting 60 frames, at some point in time, you're going to have to decide, you know, I don't need, there's only, there, out of these 8,000 frames, I've got three that I actually want to keep. Yeah. You know, and it's it, got a, it's liberating actually to delete stuff, isn't it? Well, once I started doing it, once I, I'm afraid that I got a little overkill, <laughs> you know, like there was this thing and I've, I've actually deleted things now that I, well, maybe I shouldn't have deleted that. So I, I have to kind of pull back. But what happened was that when I was in that stress thing and I started deleting them, then it became a habit, you know, so I'm just sitting there in the camera and, and what happens now is I'm walking around on the camera and I call my card while I'm. <laughs> like, like if I'm, I'm sitting in the bus or I'm sitting in a plane and I, and I have this habit now of just calling my card, you know, so that when I get it back to my computer, because the other problem that I have is I have a laptop and I like to work off my laptop, but I'd also like to have some drive space left on my laptop. You know, so if I have a 30 gig drive or 30 gigs left, I have 250 gigs on my drive and I have 30 gigs left right now and I can use that up in a, in a week, you know, with, um, uh, uh, with my, you know, with shooting from my, uh, my Canon. And so yeah. I have to, you know, I have to not, part of it is just not even getting it to the drive, if that makes sense. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it, it. but it is a very, I think there's some photographers that are listening that are going to, you know, freak out when I say that what I said, but, but the, you know, I think that there's a, there's a point where, you know, you have to, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> 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 and, you know, if you don't, if you don't throw, if you don't start, you know, becoming a little bit more critical about stuff and figuring it out, you just end up with so many photos, it's hard to find what you're looking for. Now, the other option, of course, is to be very diligent about rating them. You know, if you right. don't mind having lots of storage, you can also rate them um, carefully so that you can really say, give me all the five-star ones or the four-star ones. I'm not sure how that works in Lightroom, but in Aperture, it's pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, it's iPhone. very similar. It works very similar to that. Yeah. So the, you know, one, of, one of the guys on the team here was uh, jokingly talking about we should start a uh, pixel conservation society where you know you get <laughs> you make an effort not to use up the world's resources of pixels and, and be very diligent about the ones you do use. Yeah, there is, there is a finite number of pixels out there, isn't there? You know, <laughs> people are just abusing it with these cameras. You know? That's well, true. and they seem so small now. I mean, we we work we we move through. Um, at shooting video here, we, we move through about two terabytes a week. And, uh, 
um, and and so on average, and um, and so uh, so the, the photos seem small, you know, compared to it, <laughs> you know, because when we when we turn our video camera on, it's burning 180 megabytes a second. And yeah, so, just I guess a, a writer can't fathom the amount of storage a photographer needs, and I think photographers don't realize, <laughs> yeah. you know, what videographers are having to deal with. Yeah, so so the backup systems is something that is is uh, definitely near and dear to our uh, to our heart, and we have to make those hard decisions all the time because we just literally just there's no chance of being able to keep everything. Yeah, so, gotcha. but I think we've I think we've wound this one out. I think we should put this one in the archive. Um, Fred, is there any is there anywhere online that people can uh, find you? Um, well, of course, first of all, adobe.com slash Lightroom mm-hmm. um, is the, you know, the official site for Adobe Photoshop Lightroom. Or, you know, I also maintain a personal blog at www.frederickvan.com, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K-V-A-N.com. Excellent. And Steve, is there somewhere people can find you on the web? Uh, yeah, I, I have a, a website uh, at stevesimonphoto.com. Uh, and... Uh, I, I blog for Inside Aperture, which is the uh, digitalmedia.oreilly.com slash aperture, where you'll hear people complaining about the raw support that hasn't come yet, <laughs> but uh, hopefully uh, that will be coming shortly. And, well, if it doesn't come shortly, Steve, you're welcome to come and blog for Inside Lightroom on the same day. <laughs> uh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. So the, um, uh, and uh, also we will be get. I think all of us are going to start um, over the next uh, week or two, uh, we'll be doing um, uh, posts to uh, the uh, TWIP photo. Uh, showing some of our photos and talking about it. So, so definitely, if you're listening, um, check that out. Uh, we're going to put up uh, that. This going to be a place where a lot of us are just putting up news that we think is interesting. Um, not that that's probably that we think is more interesting than something we're just kind of linking to Twip photos on um, or, or Twip ideas on uh, delicious, but things we really want to show people, as well as some of our own photography and why we like it and don't like it, and so on, or or what we think is interesting about it. So, um, definitely check that out. And uh, uh, outside of that, um, thanks guys for uh, joining us. And uh, thank you. And thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, we'll uh, thank Scott in absentia. And uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we're going to cut these two together. And uh, and this should uh, and we'll uh, see you all uh, next next week. Thanks.